everybody, and welcome back to another episode of History Spelunkers, the show where I take a deep dive into an obscure topic from history, and I tell y'all about what I find. I am your host, Kelvin. I use he, him pronouns. And welcome back. And here I am joined by my lovely co-host. Introduce yourselves. Oh, I... Uh. Jamie always goes first. <laughs> I'm Jamie, she, her pronouns. I'm Ryan, he, him pronouns. And we are joined by an extra host with us today. I'm Laura with she, her pronouns. Welcome to the show, Laura. Uh, hopefully all of y'all are ready to dive into some niche history. And so let's dive down the rabbit hole. Of the Iron Horse Boys. Hey, blood. Name's Jedediah. Or Jedediah, stop the train, please. It's a big no can do, Cracker Jack. What's going on here, huh? Somebody's got to pay. Pay for what? I don't know. Just pay. Now stop whining and just take it like a man. <laughs> Seriously, stop the train! All right, stop the train! Thank you. Now, full speed ahead and ram them! Split his head like a watermelon! Oh, ow! Crying out loud! All right. Kids these days do weird things for fun, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we got fads and that are very different from, like, what our parents had grandparents participated in you know we got like tiktok and esports you know the cinnamon challenge was a thing tide pods i think people have always been doing stupid stuff it's just been more well documented lately as we will find out today uh yes other generations did do some really <laughs> weird stuff uh we are going to discuss and delve into some unique i guess is a word uh things that people did about a hundred years ago uh, some fads and forms of entertainment um the first form of entertainment we're going to discuss uh was a fad that caught on in the 1920s uh, called pole sitting pole like sitting like sit on the pole or like the pole sits on you? It's exactly what it sounds like. It is someone would climb to the top of a tall pole, usually like a flagpole or something, and they would see how long they could sit up there before coming down. So kind of a planking. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Kind of the I guess equivalent. Planking's been a thing Does for it matter centuries. how big the flagpole is? Uh, so, you, I mean, it's just you're sitting on a cylinder... So, they're off about the ground, like flagpoles are like, what, 40 feet or something? Damn. Pretty high. Yeah, that, they get up there, and, uh, but to make it a little easier, they usually would, like, attach a little, like, a plank or a platform to give them actually a spot to sit on, but their feet are dangling off. Um, they did have versions where it was just standing on top of a flagpole or whatever, but, um, yeah, it was just seeing how long you can endure sitting in a spot 
up in the air. They must have been really bored. Uh, well, they didn't have the internet, so. But uh, the person who is credited with starting this fad uh, was a Mr. Alvin Shipwreck Kelly. Shipwreck was his nickname. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, he, in January of 1924, he sat on top of a pole, either in response to a dare or it was like a promotional stunt. And uh, he was up there for 13 hours and 13 minutes. What was he Whoa. promoting? <laughs> yeah, what, what was he promoting? Uh, I... Don't know. That's why it's like it could be either or, you know. So we didn't do a very good job of promoting whatever it was. I guess we don't know no. about it. So like when they were sitting up there, would it be like until they got uncomfortable or until they like fell off? It's until you decide that you can no longer sit up there, so you come down. Until your butt cheeks give out, <laughs> you can't grip on anymore. Um, yeah, and well, we're going to follow this trend through shipwreck himself uh through his life because his career as a pole sitter kind of mirrors his career <laughs> yeah yeah uh, he made money on this. <laughs> uh you'd be surprised uh so alvin he was born Elosius anthony kelly is his Elosius. birth name he was from hell's kitchen new york city his mother died in childbirth and his father had passed away before he was even born and so grew up as an orphan um but he had experience at being at these heights uh kind of worked around on all these different jobs but he was a stunt pilot for a time and he also worked as a steeplejack which is someone who like works on chimneys and does repairs for like church steeples and stuff like that but you know sure he might not done we might not know what he was promoting but uh must have been a hit because it spread all across the country with people performing their own stunts and they're trying to break the record to see how long they could sit up there and it went on to where it was lasting a couple days moved to a couple weeks and in 1930 kelly reclaimed the record by sitting on top of a pole for 49 days <gasps> oh my god his poor butt cheeks um, Jesus. this is like david blaine level yeah, and uh, it continues throughout this the decade. People continuing trying to beat the records. And uh, at the height of Kelly's career, he went on a nationwide 28-city tour where he was paid hundreds of dollars per hour to sit on top of poles. And uh, <laughs> as this went on, you know, just sitting on top of a flagpole isn't exciting enough for the audience, you know? <laughs> yeah. So the poles began to grow in height, and they also began moving them to, like, the top of buildings or on cranes. So they would literally be hundreds of feet in the air sitting on platforms, and they would even, like, charge admission for people to go on rooftops and watch them sit up there. What What do they do? Like, do they... Do they... Like, what did, is the entertainment part? Did you not get it from the name? They sit on poles. They sit on poles. Yes, but, like, there has to be more. It's an endurance thing. Do they, like, throw swords or something? No, they don't throw swords. They're That'd just cool. sitting up there, balance. Um, Shipwreck said that his technique was he would drill, like, holes that he can stick his thumbs into whenever he was sitting down. 
and he would just keep his thumbs in those holes so that way if he like started leaning over to one side too much, like the pressure on his thumb would be too painful and he could course correct. That's pretty smart actually. And that's how he was able to like sleep on top of these things. But yeah, like I said, it was a fad. Um, Cause after the Great Depression began, uh, people had moved on. It wasn't exciting anymore. And, uh, you know, cops would actually, like, start arresting people for trying this because of the disruption of people wanting to watch someone sit in a big city. It could cause, like, traffic jams or something. But Shipwreck would continue on doing these stunts as the years went by, and his final pole-sitting event was in 1952. During this stunt... Uh, he had multiple heart attacks, which forced him to come down from the pole. Multiple heart attacks. And, uh, the club that he was with because of the heart attacks and the health risk said, we will not let you go back up on top of a pole. And so he retired. And how old was he? Uh, good question. Uh, they could do it for a long time. Um, but I mean, you're just sitting up there. So like. Well, yeah. there's still like the core muscles of sitting for 49 days straight. <laughs> oh, my bad. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> it wears on you, I would guess. Um, yeah, but um, shipwreck history gets a little sad because a week after his final pole sitting event, he was hit by a car a few blocks from his home in New York City where he no. passed away. Because he wasn't sitting on a pole. He should have been my in bad. the air safe. Yeah. You can't get hit by a car if you're sitting on a pole. That's what I'm saying. Uh, and his body was found carrying a scrapbook of all of his pole-sitting exploits, which he had titled <gasps> The Luckiest Fool on Earth. <laughs> he was carrying that with him? Yes. That's adorable. So <laughs> no! <laughs> uh, he calculated that over his 20-year career, he spent over 20,000 hours sitting on top of poles oh with... A couple thousand of, of those being either below freezing weather or in the rain. So yeah, after Shipwreck's death, the practice of pole sitting kind of continued sporadically. It obviously wasn't the safest hobby in the world, um, being up at tall heights for, for long periods of time. One instance that someone actually died was uh, in 1974, a famous pole sitter named Dixie Blandy, who had previously set the record for 125 days sitting on top of a pole, died at the age of 72 after the pole he was sitting on collapsed beneath him. Oh, oh my god. So, how long do you think the current record for flagpole sitting was? Is. Like currently, today, what twenty twenty two? Twenty twenty two. What is the record for pole sitting? I'll, t I'll give you a hint. It was set back in nineteen eighty four. Had you not said one hundred twenty nine days, I would have said like sixty days. But I'm gonna guess like two hundred and thirteen. Hundred and ninety eight. The current record for flag pole sitting, like I said, was set in nineteen eighty four when a man named H. David Werder decided to protest the price of gasoline, which at the time was about 99 cents per gallon, oh, no. by sitting on top of a flagpole. He 
sat on top of a pole for a grand total of 439 <gasps> days, 11 oh hours, and 6 minutes between November of 1982 to January of 1984. So like a year <laughs> and two months. Like never yeah. left, yeah. ever. He showered up there and then showered. No way. It's fine. That must be so sad. Like you're sitting there and it's raining and you're just on this whole yeah. saddest picture. I feel like like props to him, right, for being committed to his cause. But I feel like that borders a little on like obsession. No one enjoys this. You can't possibly <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> How did they do it for that long? Uh, you know, maybe he did enjoy it. Maybe that's why he was there so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. He just forgot what life was, not on a pole, and so he just <laughs> had to do it now. Oh, God. Uh, Can you imagine, though, how, like, flat his butt was at the end of that? I mean, I'm sure he, like, moved around. I'm sure he, I think he built himself, like, a slightly larger platform that he was able to sort okay. of navigate. He, he wasn't did, just yeah. sitting straight up that entire time. He did his, like, jumping jacks. Well, but I feel like, like it's supposed to, like, atrophy a little bit, though. Oh, yeah. yeah I, like... I mean, <laughs> no, we got some yeah. weights. He's probably doing workouts and just two pound anything. There's some glute bridges up there. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he, you know, that was like the fad version of it. Like, like, but, um, pole sitting in general, it's been a thing for like, well, I say pole sitting, but living on top of pillars for prolonged periods of time. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> off in the gear. It's been around for like a very long time. Like there's an entire class of like Christian saints. I was about to say there has to there has to be a religious thing that somewhere. are called stylites that are literally like a group of monks that lived on top of pillars for like years. I think the record is like 47 years or something or, or like one of the most notable people, you know. That's like a whole lifetime for them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's goes up on top of a pillar and just lives there. Does someone like wheel him around so he can have a different view? No, it's oh, like yeah. it's like a stone pillar. Oh, okay. Like a like, Rapunzel tower basically. Yeah. How do you like not die from like exposure when you're doing that? Like do they bring stuff up to you to like Yeah, you can have like contact. sunscreen and you can you have, have an umbrella. <laughs> I feel like I need to ask the obvious and how do they like how do they pee? Well, I mean, if you're a guy, it's yeah, like these are guys. Like, you can I mean, do girls that. are simple too. Yeah. You just don't lose balance. Just, I mean, you're already sitting. Well, yeah. yes, but like, do people watch you? Like, well, do you just make sure no one's watching if you? If it's a religious thing, they probably had monks that went around and fed them and stuff. It's all like mm -hmm. cleaned up and like, oh, you know. Oh God. I'm sure there's ways that they had of just catering to their every need of. I feel like the pooping pillow. would be a lot more difficult than the peeing. Yeah. Or maybe not. I mean, you. Just you just scoop back a little bit. Like, <laughs> oh my god! Let it fall. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're overthinking it. You just. You just. It is not hard. Exist. <laughs> maybe it's. Maybe it's a hollow pillar. No. <laughs> you're off. You're off. Right. It's so tall. That's what I'm saying. Like once it's you're full, disgusting. then you're done. Ew. <laughs> Do you pack it every once in a while? Like, no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, you, started uh, you, guys, you guys started this conversation. How long do y'all think you could sit on top of a flagpole? Oh, not even like an minutes. hour. No? <laughs> well, yeah. no, I could probably do a couple hours. I mean, you can sit in a car for a few hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could not do a whole day, though. I, I don't think so either. <laughs> uh, the second I would, I would not sleep. No. 
Yeah. It's... Me and my bad back could never. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you'd just break. Uh, all right, so that, that's up. That's pole sitting. Uh, the the next thing that people... I, I, I'll say people did this for fun. I, it, it was a form of entertainment that lots of people did. We'll decide whether or not it's fun <laughs> after I describe it to you. Um, it became, it caught on during the Great Depression. Uh, and, and there's still some people that do it today. Uh, but it's called a dance marathon. Oh, yeah, I, I've heard of oh, those. I've, oh, I've seen one of those before. Yeah. Uh, dance marathons, for those who aren't familiar, are events where couples pair off and dance as long as they can, it's another endurance type of thing, and they dance until only one couple remains. Um, rules vary between events, but usually it's you dance for a set amount of time, and then there's like breaks built into it for people to use the restroom or get some food, that sort of thing. Just not committed. Uh, I disagree with that mm. fundamentally. Just put like a catheter in, you know? Oh, well, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess you could. Lost in your bag. Yeah, if you really were committed, but uh, but yeah. Anyways, you know, there. It like I said, it depends. But really, the only rules were that you had while you were dancing, you had to keep dancing or even just keep moving, and that you danced to the appropriate pace of the music. Mm -hmm. So, for example, periodically, like once an hour, they would have the music speed up and play a particular. And like you also had back then, like the Charleston, you know, or specific okay. dances that go with songs that you would have to dance to that are fast-paced to make sure that, you know... You're paying attention. Yeah. To... Um, and they would have, like, referees walking around the dance floor making sure that people were qualified and stuff. Um, some marathons allowed you to trade partners if, like... The partner that you're dancing with drops out and another couple partner drops out you can team up and keep going some of them did that and others even allowed you to continue dancing if you fell asleep as long as your partner kept you straight upright and moving you around appropriately that must have been like so hard for the partner like physical strength to like hold up like dead weight like that mm -hmm. straight up and be moving around that would be me. I can sleep in any like position, like in cars or anything, and so I feel like I'd be the one that falls asleep. Yeah. And I can just stand up. And have your partner just holding your arms out or have them drape around your shoulder and balancing <laughs> on their feet. But, uh, so yeah. They first became popular in 1923 after a woman named Alma Cummings danced continuously for 27 hours with six different partners. Wow. Um, dance marathons came about not only for, like, this entertainment factor, uh, but it was also a way to earn money during the Depression because such a large percentage of the population was unemployed. Um, the winners of these marathons would often win a cash prize out of the audience admission tickets, and while you were dancing, you had a roof over your head, food was provided for you, you know, 
you had a place to sleep, even if it was on top of your partner. So, <laughs> um, you had it pretty much set out. And if you have no better options, you have really good motivation to keep going at this. Oh, that's so sad. Um, so these marathons would frequently last a couple of weeks. Uh, what do you think the record? I mean, they're held at a lot of, like different levels of events, so different. Re we don't know an exact length of what the longest one is, but what would you think that? Two it, months. It's close. Two to. months. Anything um, endurance-wise, I can never guess because there's always one couple that just would not stop. I, I'd say like thirty-one days, so like a month. Um, the record between like a couple events claimed to have been the longest, but the record is somewhere around 150 days of a marathon dance. And wow. like, you're wondering like, what's motivating these people to dance for so long. They could literally like win a couple thousand dollars back in the 1930s if it was a big enough event and they had enough people attending. So it's a pretty big, lump of change but um given the physical distress and trauma that these contestants were putting themselves through and there was some moral qualms that like church groups had about uh people going to watch people put themselves through such pain and also like <gasps> they're dancing together was also a factor oh, of it so <laughs> um so some states, out of a mixture of like these moral concerns and also just like ethical concerns, uh, they began passing blue laws, is what they call them, which banned the practice after participants were actually dying from exhaustion. Whoa. So yeah, they didn't last very long outside of the Great Depression. But in 1969, a film which the main plot device set the main plot centers around a dance marathon. Uh, the film's called they shoot horses. Don't they? Um, Interesting. it became a huge hit, like was nominated for a bunch of Oscars and, uh, it was huge hit, especially amongst like college kids and universities. And so they kind of brought the practice back. Um, a lot of colleges did, Nowadays, they have like strict upper time limits of how long people, how long the event lasts. They're not just indefinite and they're usually done for like charity fundraising purposes. So like, for example, there's the, one of the more famous ones is the Penn State Dance Marathon, which lasts 46 hours every year and raises money to combat pediatric, pediatric cancer. You know, there's, um... There's a group on campus that does that. One of the mm -hmm. RAs that I work with is in this group. And every year they have like a 24-hour like dance marathon. And like all the proceeds go to the Dell Children's Hospital. Yeah. So. Noble cause. Noble cause. Indeed, indeed. And so um, what actually like what inspired me to do this episode and this topic specifically was uh, I actually saw a painting from 1934 called Dance Marathon, and um, I'll show it to y'all here. 
and you can really see like the physical exhaustion of these people. They're collapsed on top of each other and they got some muscles though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ripped. Um, well, I mean, if you're dancing for like a month at a time. Yeah, and then there's Mickey Mouse over in the corner, oh, creepily. No. Oh. <laughs> like that. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, dance marathons. The last topic of our discussion today probably has the most mainstream appeal, I would say, uh, to a modern audience. Uh, have any of y'all been to a demolition derby? No. Is that where, like, the monster trucks drive over the, like, smaller trucks? That's like a monster truck rally. Uh, Demolition derbies are like, you're in a car, they're in a car, you want to be in your car. Real life bumper cars. Put together as long as you can. Oh. Like, yeah. So, Smash. like, the event from that one Herbie movie where... I think so. I think so, yeah. With the, the one with Lindsay Like the last car, last car standing. She, like, runs in there and she's like, Herbie! <laughs> that sounds like a Herbie thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's real-life bumper cars, last man standing sort okay. of deal. Okay, <clears throat> But, uh, you know, you understand the appeal. It's fun to see things get destroyed. Uh, you know, you mess with, if any of you mess with, like, Tannerite and blown shit up, you know. <laughs> That's pretty fun. It's fun. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Well, this final form that we're going to talk about uh it scratched a very similar itch to our ancestors uh this event is called train totaling oh, oh yeah people would <laughs> pay money to go and watch two trains crash into each other on purpose like yes. a like, slow crash or like a fast crash no like get them up to speed and crash into each other i want to see that are there like conductors in these trains? They are, so there are conductors that start the trains, get uh -huh. them running, but then they jump off before they actually. Yeah, get. I guess you can because like they just go along the tracks. It's not like they can fall off really. Yeah. So like just the, what do you call that? Not the caboose, the, the other end? The engine. The engine, the engine yes. So no, it's those? like a full train. Oh, they wow. just waste the whole train? It's not wasted. Well, okay. Sounds fun as hell. Usually, <laughs> usually the uh, locomotives that they would use were retired or being okay. phased out by whoever was using them. And so it was one last way to get some use out of them. But uh, the first highly publicized train totaling was put on in Ohio in 1895 by Mr. A.L. Streeter. And it was such a success that within the next year, six more were scheduled across the country. <laughs> the most famous intentional train wreck was one of those six. It occurred in 1896, just outside of Waco, Texas. Ooh. And it is known as the Crash at Crush. <laughs> is that a place? Is Crush a place? So... A William Crush, Will Crush, worked at <laughs> Will Crush worked at a big railroad company, and they had stockpiled some old engines, and they're putting implementing some new ones. So they had this big stockpile that they had no use for, and so he decided to use a couple of them for a publicity stunt after the one in Ohio went so well. 
Uh, they widely advertised this event, um, and admission was free, but they got the railroad got their money by offering a special rate of $2 round-trip ticket on their railroad to the location at this, they set up a stop outside of Waco and called it, they basically built a town out of nowhere and called it Crush after himself. And so you could go from anywhere in the state of Texas to Crush for $2 round trip. Oh, that's a steal. To watch this event. Interesting. Pe it's a steal. Yeah. People thought so because on the day of the event, September 15th, over 40,000 people arrived to watch, which was more than the, like, it would have been, like, the second, third most populated city in the state of Texas at the time. I mean, honestly, if you were to tell me today, how much would $2 be in today's money? $2 what inflation? Mm, 1896. Well, money doubles every 25 years, just about. So that's, like, what, 100 years? hundred and something years ago? Um, it's kind of hard to find, like, inflation calculator from that long because, um, just because we, like, changed over to the gold standard and such. Oh, yeah. But, um, let's see, 1896 to 2021, enter amount of money. $2. Two whole dollars. Uh... About 67. Okay, if you were to tell me today that for like 70 bucks round trip, I would first of all get to ride on a train. Twice. Twice. And like in between those train rides, watch two trains smash into each other at full speed. I'd do it in a heartbeat. I'd be like, let's go. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need any more information. Let's Sign do me it. Up. Um, so yeah. Uh, the 40,000 people was about twice the number of people that they were expecting. Wow. And so there's like a, like I said, they built a town there. So they had like basically a fair going on sort of deal, entertainment. It was an all day thing. Uh, they hired like 200 police officers to provide security and stuff. Um, and for the main event, spectators were to be about 200 yards away from the track was their safe D-line. Press could be closer, but that was where the main population was. And the event was actually delayed because it took a very long time to get people to stay that far away from the railroad track. People wanted to get closer. Yeah, it's a long way away. Um, the engineers of the railroad assured everyone that it would be a, a safe event, that no one was going to get hurt, no one would be on the trains. They were far enough away. Um, and so a little after 5 p.m., the trains collided into one another after having reached speeds of around 45 miles per hour. And immediately upon impact, the boilers on both of the engines exploded. Ah, uh, of course. <laughs> spraying shrapnel all over the place. At least six people were seriously injured and two to three people died. Hey, that's what they came here for. Of 40,000? Yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's, those that's are pretty fine. good numbers. <laughs> uh, a lot worse. And there are actually photographs oh. of the event. And what's neat about these photographs is the person that took them was blinded by the shrapnel. Wow. So they never even got to see the pictures. Well, I'm half. he was blinded it. in one eye. Oh, okay. Uh, I should say. But, um... Yeah. 
and so Will Crush was immediately fired by the railroad company uh, for having their customers be injured, but was rehired the next day after realizing that the explosion, one, made the event much more of a spectacle, and two, yeah, some people got hurt and died, and the explosion sent people into a panic, uh, but after, like, the initial chaos... They calmed down and actually began to climb on top of the wreckage looking for souvenirs. So it was a great time. Sweet. You can always trust people to be people. <laughs> uh, there's a here. Let me find a photo of the people crawling on top of the train engine. Like what kind of souvenirs? Like a little piece of coal? Piece of metal. Well, okay. So if only like what you said, six to seven people were injured and two to three died. Yeah. That many out of 40,000. I'm sure most of those people didn't even know that anyone had even been injured. They're probably at the front too. So just stand like in the middle to the back. Yeah. And then go climb on the wreckage after it's done. So here's a photo of... People kind of crawling around the wreckage site looking for souvenirs. Um, and uh, there's another photo somewhere of them like actually standing on top of the wreckage. But yeah, you got a photo of immediately before impact. That's cool. And the explosion itself. And then people crawling on top of the wreckage <laughs> and... Look at the size of this crowd Jeez. here. Oh my god. So yeah, like, no. It was a huge success, regardless of the deaths. I wonder how many of the injuries and deaths were a result of the panic and not, like, the actual shrapnel itself. Yeah, like stampeding. That's a we real We will never know. But, um, so yeah, he was rehired <laughs> and uh, went on to have a long career with the railroad. But uh, the practice of crashing trains into each other continued after the crash at Crush well into the 1930s. One man, Joe Connolly, staged over 70 wrecks and totaled at least 146 locomotives during his almost 40-year-long career of train totaling. Wow. The last public train total was in 1935. Is that outlawed Public. today? Like, can you not do this? It's not outlawed, but um, beginning during the Great Depression, people began to see crashing two train engines into each other as, like, wasteful. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. That's what I thought. Uh, there have been intentional train wrecks since. Uh, usually you'll see them for, like, movie stunts. Mm. If they're doing a period piece that has a train right. wreck, then... They'll find some old trains and run them into each other. Mm. But, um, yeah. And surprisingly, after the crash at Crush, there doesn't seem to have been any wrecks in which the boilers exploded. So the engineers were right in that there really wasn't that much of a risk. It's just freak accident. Mm -hmm. Both of them happened to explode and kill a couple people. I wonder why. Maybe they figured out why and then just made sure not to, like, do whatever that was for the next one. Well, where are boilers? Like, are they... Well, so, you know what, like, a traditional steam locomotive looks like? I, I they, they're, like, the long... So you got, like, the box where the people are, and then, like, a long cylinder, and then you got the choo-choo spout on the front. Choo-choo. 
Well, that long cylinder is where the boiler is, and it's just full of water and hot compressed steam that pushes the wheels around. Those are some examples of what people used to do for fun back in the day. The uh, first one, I can't really get behind. I don't see how that's fun. Yeah. But like the other two, I can see. I can fun see to how, watch. Yeah, they're fun to watch. I can see how that. We need fun. to bring them back. You think? The train one. The, yeah. Yeah, the train one. I yeah. think there should be a combination of pole sitting and the train wrecks, where there's mm. a pole sitter on one of the trains, and then he works as a human catapult. Oh, to see how far you can go. <laughs> yeah, like there's a net or whatever. Okay. Just like toss them. But the so, second the train hits, they just get launched. So like train throwing or something like yes. that. Okay. Human cannons are a thing, yeah. so why not just attach a person to that? There's already like bridge jumpers and stuff like that. Like that's not, people still do that, I guess. Yeah. So what's the difference? That'd be like a good really. jackass episode. Oh yeah. They just had the new movie come out. Maybe they did that. <laughs> I don't Jackass, know. if you're listening, that one's for free. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, well, that's the episode. Uh, hopefully, y'all enjoyed it and learned something new. You would definitely say that some of those sounded lame, but also some of the things that we do now are yeah. pretty. They're pretty tame. I mean, like think about like TikTok, right? Like when TikTok first became big, it was literally just people like doing the same like 30 second dance that they had seen before. They practice, they practice so hard for it though, for their yeah. performance, their life. And it was just so good. And I mean, some of those TikTokers make a lot of money, so like. Don't know. That's our episode. Uh, if you liked what you hear, please tell your friends about us. Our music is by Mountaineer. You can find their music and more on upbeat.io. As always, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on occupied land that rightfully belongs to the Kiowa, Comanche, Tonkwa, as well as other indigenous peoples. If you have any questions, suggestions for future episodes, or you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at History Spelunkers. That's history, S-P-E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for coming down the rabbit hole with me. Until next time, bye-bye. See ya.